0: I'd like to introduce a very special guest by the name of Bill Serva, who is the Vice President of Technology at Goodwill of Central and Northern Arizona. I've known Bill for probably four or five years with some work that I've done with that organization. And Bill, I remember when you and I first approach to the subject of you getting on this podcast you kind of said to me dude i don't know whether i've got too much to say about this and then you said you kind of discussed it with your wife and then came back and said well maybe i do but i guess i wanted to start with that is do you identify yourself as being intuitive is that something that you even have as an identifier to who bill survey is
1: yeah i don't think it's something that comes naturally to me and especially when it comes to judging people's character, I generally assume the best in everyone, and I'm all in early on with people, or I have been in the past, and am oblivious or have been oblivious in the past to little clues that, you know, well, something might not be what they say they are. The first time I think I really experienced that, uh, and this is something that my wife is really good at. She's really good at recognizing and seeing clues in people's behavior and getting a gut feeling about if something's off. And an example of this was somebody that I managed, this was several years ago, who was managing our service desk at the time. And he was not really doing his job. And I was really hands off. And I thought he was doing fine. And my wife and I actually we went with his, um, this guy's wife. And my wife and I went to happy hour. And after the happy hour, Karen, my wife, turned to me and she said, Bill, oh, something's not right with that guy. I don't trust him. And, you know, I went back to work and I, I did a little bit of research and did some skip interviews with people that were reporting to him and discovered that he wasn't being honest. And there was a lot of funny stuff going on. And so eventually that guy actually ended up getting like oh a couple of months later. But, you know, it was really because of my wife's intuition around it that got me to look a little bit deeper. And, it, and it's one of those things that I've continued to work on over time since that experience
0: so when your wife had said that about this individual did it ring true to you later like oh you know i did sort of sense that but i didn't have language to it or was this chinese to you
1: i was oblivious dean i mean it was when she said it at the time like you don't know what you're talking about you know this is a great guy we interviewed him he had good references and i sort of dismissed it but you know through the next couple of weeks i had you know i was i was paying a little bit more attention And I did notice some things and then going back and thinking about it later, a lot of things made sense. So Mm -hmm. it really took that experience for me to kind of lift the blinders off and see things that, that were going on. And I think really for me, you know, what I think intuition, you know, a lot of times we talk, people talk about it as this kind of, you know, intangible thing that you just have a gut feeling about things. But I think people that are really good at being intuitive about things, or that gut feeling, it's about how well they observe other people's behavior and other things in their environment. And I think that there's just some people that are just more tuned into that stuff. And it comes more naturally to them than others. And people like me have to have to work a little bit harder at that.
0: And so you said you put some more energy into that. What have you noticed? Is it getting easier? Like, are you having more awareness around this slippery thing called
1: intuition? Yeah, I think... You know, I try to take in more information and more data, right? So like looking at people's body language or, you know, to their tone of voice or seeing the way that they interact with other people. And so, you know, definitely with my human interactions with other people, it's really gotten to a point where I'm paying attention to more things in the environment and in the person's behavior to kind of get a gut feeling about it.
0: Got it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask a question, but I'm going to lead into it. When I was younger and just before I started my business, I had just gone through a divorce and I was working at a job that I absolutely did not like. I was doing well, but it didn't fit my purpose and it wasn't something that I felt like I wanted to do very long. So it felt like kind of a good opportunity to look for something new. And I just had this strong, again, intuitive gut feeling at the time that I needed to move back to Seattle where I had gone to graduate school. And it was something that felt like it had to happen like right away within like in the next three or four days. And I remember talking to my dad about this and he said, you're crazy. I mean, I don't understand what you're doing here. You've got family and friends and you've got all this support. You've got opportunities. Why would you give all that up to go to a place that you are basically unknown to start a business that you don't even know how to do? I said, I know it doesn't make any sense, but I just sort of feel this desire, this pull to go back to Seattle. And so I did. And I drove back and within about a day, I had to give a speech for an organization. And the person with whom I had to introduce after me I had to figure out pretty quickly who she was so I could do an adequate job of introducing her. And well, lo and behold, we were able to meet, we talked and, you know, friendship started. And not too long after that, we got married and the business just sort of took off. And I look back at that. I went, well, I guess, you know, I needed to do this relatively quick exit from Minneapolis to get to Seattle so I could start my business and could meet my new wife. It was a great decision. You know, I'm really, really glad right. that I followed that Untangible desire to do something, even though all the facts and information were pointing me in a different direction. And I'm not saying that you have an example like this, but is there any time that you may have made a decision in your life that in hindsight, you would say, yeah, that was intuitive. And it was a good thing that really changed the course of your life.
1: Yeah, you know, being in technology for so long and I'm really big on data and facts and (laughs) and information, right? And so I don't know if I can really point to any decision where it was just a gut feeling. Certainly nothing like you described where you just had this feeling that you had to go do something else. Gosh, I just make a lot of decisions based upon data and information and things like that. I mean, I can think of a couple of times that I've switched jobs because, you know, things just didn't feel right. You know, I worked for a clinical research facility and it the environment just didn't feel right. And it felt like the company was going to be in trouble. So I left and went to another job. And, and I eventually ended up coming up to Phoenix. I graduated from the University of Arizona in 92 and the first, you know, 15 years or so of my family life down there. And when I had gotten laid off from a job in Tucson, um, I looked a lot in tucson for jobs and you know just by chance went to some job fair and met with a recruiter up in phoenix and, and that's what led me to move to phoenix but that was really more not as much of a gut feeling it's more about you know feeling that the tucson market wasn't really working for me and needing to kind of reach out to phoenix and see what opportunities were there And so really a lot of it based on data
0: yeah, understood. That's fair because I think in my personal research on this whole topic, which I find fascinating, is that most of what comes to us is perceived subconsciously and that we don't have yeah. our actual conscious mind to be able to get access to it. And so that's what I find to be fascinating. And I've looked at some neuroscience on this and it's like, it's just a small fraction of the information that's coming to us. Do we actually get a chance to perceive? And I think, okay, how do we then open up to that other 99.9%? You know, How do we tap into that superpower, which I think we all have, which is this thing called intuition. I also think though, and I'm curious to see what your thoughts are about this because you're a leader over at Goodwill, is this idea that if you allow people to explore the aspects of themselves that may not necessarily have a lot of data to support it. Meaning, can we allow people to say, hey, Bill, I've got a hunch on something. I'd like to explore that with you, that that would be an okay kind of conversation. It wouldn't necessarily be, no, go back and find me some facts before you even walk into my office. And I think that's part of engagement. But you know, on the topic of engagement and allowing people to sort of have a voice, what have you done with your team to be able to encourage that voice, to encourage them to speak up?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's really important working in technology is innovation, right? That's how all new things come about is through ideas. And I encourage people to bring new ideas to the team. A good example I can think of, was back when I first started in 2010 at Goodwill, they threw me on this project. They said, though, so we need to put barcodes on all of our retail merchandise. You know, at the time they were writing things on tags and cashiers were having to remember prices because some things just had a color tag on it and they weren't labeled. And so there was, you know, the business suspected there was a lot of, errors going on that was probably causing us to sell things for less than what we were pricing them at. And I can remember working with one of our database people whose name was Beth. And she had this idea of, you know after we had done some research about what kind of applications were out there, she had approached me on a Friday. So my boss worked from home on Friday. So that was a good time to, to get crazy ideas started. And she had this idea, hey Bill, what if we built this application ourselves? And we could customize it and we could do... Whatever we wanted with it. I said, yeah, you know what? I think that's uh, let's explore that. That's a great idea. Let's see what we can do with it. So rather than you know going back and getting data, taking a risk and just kind of letting that person move forward with the development. And you know, here we are nine and a half years later. And not only did that application that we developed become core to our business. We called it Robart. It stands for Retail Operations Barcoding Terminal, a fun ITI acronym. Um, <laughs> but not only has it become core to our business, but we've actually managed to turn our department into a revenue-generating department by selling this application to other Goodwill organizations. Currently, we're in SoCal and we're in Nevada, and at the Summer Learning Conference next month, we're actually going to have a booth at the Member Marketplace and be selling it to other Goodwills. And so, you know, that one, you know, Friday afternoon where she talked to me about what she thought this could be turned into this revenue generating application for the department so i think about things like that and how important it is when people have ideas or if other people have a gut feeling about things but at least let them explore it and see where it goes before shutting it down because you know the other piece is that if you're immediately one of the struggles at the time with my boss at the time was very negative about it he didn't think we should He didn't think we should build a custom application. And he felt really strongly about that. And when you have those kinds of beliefs or attitudes towards people on your team, over time, it demoralizes them. And they stop innovating. They stop creating. They stop listening to their gut about things because they know that you're not going to listen. So I think it's important, even though it's something that I don't think that I'm particularly good at, I have (laughs) surrounded myself with people who are Mm. and am able to you know, learn from them as well as allow them to uh, have those ideas and and move those things forward.
0: So was the former boss that was sort of poo-pooing this idea, was he or she basing that on some mindset or set of facts that said this couldn't work or wasn't worth the time
1: and investment? I think this was before you got involved with the organization. And you know what the the culture was like before. I mean, it was a very siloed culture and it was very much, you know, no was said a lot. Um, just kind of do your job, do what needs to be done. And so there wasn't a lot of room for that kind of thinking. And, you know, my my previous boss was more he wasn't as good with people, I, I think, as I am. One of the things that's been important to me in my career is developing relationships with people because I really feel like that that's the only way that you get stuff done. And at the time, there were, there were a lot of not very good relationships with other department heads in the IT department. And through the work that you worked with us and our leadership to kind of move away from that and move into a new culture that's more open and uh, honest and trust and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I think think maybe it was more fear-based than anything else. What if we do this and we invest all this time and energy in it and it doesn't work? What's the business going to think about us? How is it going to reflect on me as a leader of the IT department? So I think that's probably where he's coming from on it.
0: So basically what you were saying, if I can repeat what you said, is that although this is not necessarily a skill that you would say is your strength, it is something that you appreciating other people. Hence, you've also got a wife. It sounds like she's pretty good at this as well. Yeah. And you surround yourself with these people who are a little bit more intuitive than maybe yourself, or at least have that ability to tap into it. And some positive things have come from that. Hence, obviously, your, your marriage. Also, this technology you created and are now selling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, That's absolutely. Fantastic. That's fantastic. It's taken me a while to get to that place because, I mean, you know, Tim, our CEO He is very good at gut decisions. And I I said to him once, you know, Tim, I don't always agree with your decision, but I usually give you the benefit of the doubt because you're usually right. And for him to be able to make those kinds of decisions and seeing people that are able to do that time over time, you know, these gut decisions that actually make sense and that turn out, you kind of learn that they've got this skill and maybe they don't even understand it. because I even asked him, I said, Tim, how do you do that? And he's like, I don't know. (laughs) because I was hoping maybe I could learn from them. (laughs) Yeah, there are people that are just good at it. And kind of with anything, I think good leaders surround themselves with people that balance out their weaknesses, right? So if I'm not good at something, I need people on my team that are good at that so that they can balance it out and that we can leverage each other's strengths to really accomplish more.
0: I've always thought that intuition had three parts to it. One was to identify the fact that there is intuition in your skill set at some point or another, the trust to be able to use it, and then the courage to really bring it into action. So this identify, trust, and courage piece was always something that keeps going around in my head, at least. And one of the things I really appreciate about you, Bill, is your courage and your ability to speak the truth and to speak up what maybe others are not wanting to say. And of course, you know, you know, an example by which I could speak long on where yeah. um, you were able to say the elephant in the room in front of a large group of your peers that I would say most everybody else was afraid to say and you yeah. changed the course of that conversation by saying the truth by having the, the truth be spoken and that courage was just I think an example of what everybody wanted to do but didn't have the ability to do at that time I've am yeah. Curious, though, since that's something that you could say is a strength, you might not say that intuition is your strongest trait, but courage seems to be pretty high up. At least that's my estimation of you. Yeah. How do you transfer or how do you encourage courage in others?
1: I think a lot of that came out through the work that we did around the five dysfunctions of a team. And, you know, really that foundation of trust and in order for us, if we want to work in an environment or live in a world of trust, we need to be honest. And, you know, sometimes honest means having hard conversations. I think over the course of my career, I've really kind of pushed myself to lean into those difficult conversations because I think there's value in doing the hard thing. There's value in, you know, overcoming your own fears or anxieties for some greater good. In that situation in particular, I knew that this was something that other people agreed with me on. I mean, I knew that that other people felt the same way that I did and they just were afraid to say it. And you know what, Dean? Maybe it helped because I'd only been in the position for like six months. <laughs> and so I'm like, what do I have to lose? I've only been doing this for a little bit. could always fall back on I'm still learning how to be a vice president of IT but no I mean I I think that you know what we were trying to build and what we were trying to do with that group at that time was build a more trusting environment where we could be open with each other and if that's what we were really going to do we needed to be honest and you know I just felt strongly about that and that's one of the things I'm trying to work with other people to have courage to stand up and to speak up about things if they feel like things aren't right or if they feel strongly about something because you know, the only way that we could change is if we, you know, know that something's wrong. And it, I always say to people, you know, I can't fix it if I don't know that it's broken. I feel like that that's the same with relationships or with work environments or whatever, that nobody knows that it's broken. You can't fix it.
0: Got it. So it sounds like you're encouraging people to speak up, even if there's not data and maybe it's a gut feeling and it turns into a new product that you guys could sell, but also it's a function of how you guys are building trust. Yeah, That's, that's great. You mentioned Tim O'Neill, the CEO just recently of Goodwill of Central and Northern Arizona and his ability to go with his gut. And probably he's done that with the board and certainly he's done that with the leadership team. Have you ever gone to your leadership without the sufficient data that you would like to have, but maybe a little bit more of that gut feeling and ask for them to trust you around that?
1: Yeah, actually, I have recently. So one of the things that we're doing right now in the organization is we're standing up a project management office. We haven't had a formal project management office. And currently I report to the CIO who's responsible for strategy, technology, and data in analytics, like sort of like merchandising analytics, retail kind of stuff. When we were interviewing people to come into this senior director position for the project management office, I felt really strongly that that person should report to me instead of reporting directly to him. You know, there's a number of different reasons for that. One is I'm working on being more of an organizational leader and not just a technology leader, but I also feel really passionate about project management and the ways that we could implement project management in our organization in a better way, to be even more effective with the way that we run projects. And so I had a lot of conversations with him. This is something that I feel strongly about. This is something that I think I can lead this person in a way that she will be successful. I have lots of relationships with people in the organization that I can leverage to kind of help her get into the organization and get assimilated pretty quickly. And I was successful in that. I mean, this person started about a month ago and she does report to me and I'm spending a lot of work doing some planning around that. And my boss let me actually lead our PMO strategy session that we had about a week and a half ago. I mean, I guess that's maybe one which I felt felt really passionate about this new initiative to develop a project management office and what it could do for the organization and how I can help that be successful. So yeah, so I fought for that to happen. And it did happen. Now I just have to deliver on it.
0: (laughs) I wanted to bring up the language that you just described this and you said you felt really passionate about this. If you were to follow that passion back, was that based on sort of a series of data points that you could point to? Or was it more housed in value housed in how you feel housed in the vision kind of wondering what's the source of that passion
1: that's funny yeah it was really about the chaotic way in which we got things done back when i first started Mm. and i can remember one of the things that came out of the scene this was before i was in the senior leadership i was in a manager role and i was running projects and i had some experience running projects in the past and i can remember the, the conversations at the time being execute, execute, execute. That was the direction. And I can remember like putting my hand up and thinking, can one of those be planned? Can we, mm. <laughs> you know, really feeling passionate about how we can do better through implementing best practices around project management and doing that on my team over the years. I've got my project management professional certification back in 2013. And then another member of my team who's a project manager got her PMP certification as well. And so, feeling really passionate about how can we adapt this to the organization to help us be even better. And kind of chipping away at that time, you know, year after year, planning projects, seeing successes, and then finally hearing the business say, huh, maybe we should take a step back and do better planning. I can remember the day that I heard our CLO say that, and I, I like practically shed a tear. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I've had some impact. And, you know, the business has seen the value of it, of us being more organized about the way that we do projects and, you know, better track of our budget and our schedule and our resources. And and I'm really excited about what we're doing around that. And I guess you're right, Dana wasn't. there's not really a, a lot of data points around no. that other than I felt like there was a better way to do this. And I felt like that this would work based upon you know, the experiences of other people and what I had seen in other organizations, you know, and I think with that, I mean, I bring, you know, we all bring our experience with us to wherever we are. And the other piece of that, I had just come from an organization that, you know, just dropped in a ton of process and procedures around project management and the business rejected it. It failed miserably. So coming from that experience and then having this sort of organic development of the project management office in this organization to be able to balance that process with, you know, to not have too much red tape that this needs to be something that provides value to the business and we're not doing it just for the sake of doing it.
0: I wonder if in this situation, Bill, you had a different altitude of perception that other people had in that you could see patterns where at the ground level, others may not have been able to in the beginning. You were mentioning your COO not being able to the beginning, but later finding the alignment with you on that idea. Just as you're talking, I'm thinking about like almost like a plane and it's the altitude of how high up do you go. And I think in some ways, the higher you go, sometimes at that level, you can start to see patterns that others who are more in the weeds can't. It reminds me of this. Maybe you've seen this movie. It's a really great movie. It's called Hidden Figures. It's about these African-American scientists and mathematicians who were working on the Apollo project and how they were struggling to get heard and get themselves being seen as credible. But they are all three were absolutely brilliant in their own right. And there was one point in the movie, and I want to kind of share this with you to see if this relates to some of your own experience, where this is a... Basically, this is before the supercomputer was ubiquitous in business. And so it was all done by old math and people literally getting up on chalkboards and trying to figure out things that now we just take for granted that our cell phones could do. And so this African-American gal... She's the computer. She's basically, it's all in her head. She knows how to do all this stuff. And the Kevin Costner character says, no, I need you to pull back and see it from a different perspective. That's the old science. That's the old math. We need something new. You need to break free from those shackles of how we've done it. And so she took all this time and really literally kind of stepped back and was able to create a whole new process, a whole new mindset around it, which then of course changed the course of how they proceeded with the Apollo project. But It was that ability that she had such amazing detail orientation and so good at facts and information. But when she stepped back, she could see a broader picture, a broader mosaic almost. Do you see that sometimes? Do you find yourself because you are so good at data and that is your skill set that when you have that amount of information, do you notice when you pull back and do you start seeing things differently? Do you start seeing a pattern that maybe
1: others just can't? Yeah, I mean, that that could be some of it. I mean, one of the things that's been very important to me in coming into this organization is connecting with people and seeing what's going on in a lot of different areas. And I think that has helped me to do just that, take a step back and see what's happening in different areas of the organization and see what the similarities are across the board in order to identify areas or opportunities for change or opportunities for us to do better and be better. And I think that that's something that we've been able to do around the project, talking with other project managers and other parts of the organization, you know, who may or may not have been talking to each other, but to be able to see, yeah, we're all struggling with the same things. We're all having the same challenges to kind of bring that to light to kind of help move this process forward.
0: Well, I see you that way. My interactions with you, I see that, you know, you you have this great skill around data information, but there are times, and I can't point to them exactly, but I've been in meetings with you where I've noticed you saying things that other people go, oh, yeah, that connects. Bill's got a vision on something that we just couldn't see because we don't have the background. We don't have that information. We don't have that pattern recognition in this particular area. So I guess, Bill, I understand you've also got a blog and you're getting into writing and so forth. So one, I want to know more about the blog and what it's about and how people can connect to it. But maybe before we get into that, if you were to sit down with another IT person who is starting in their job and they want to learn from you about intuition, giving people a voice, having the courage to trust their own voice, just to a summation of some of the stuff that you talked about, what would be your three or four tips? You know, if you're going to be successful in business and you are really strong in data, what sort of advice would you give those kinds of data junkies out there who want to expand the way they think and act with their people?
1: I would say the first thing is it's okay if you don't know what you're doing. I think when I was first promoted into this position, I didn't know how to be a department head. I'd never been a department head before. I'd never done this job before. And it's okay to not know. You know, I think one of the the first things that I would encourage people is to just ask questions. Ask questions, get to learn the business, get to learn the people that you work with and reach out to other people that are good at whatever it is that you want to be good at. I definitely had opportunities to work with different coaches in my career. To help me develop the skills that I needed to lead this group of people that I lead now, and so you know, it's okay not to know. It's also okay to ask questions. I think sometimes people are afraid to because they're afraid that they're going to look stupid or they're going to afraid that they don't know everything. And it's it's kind of cool because I've seen this with my son, who's now working. He has an internship as a computer programmer over the summer, and he's been really good at asking for help or asking questions when he doesn't know how something works. I think that's the other thing is that you'll be surprised at how often people want to help you. You know, just asking questions because you don't know something. I think people's default is to want to help and not to think that you're dumb or that you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I see my son do that and ask questions. And rather than just sit at his computer and try to figure something out for days, to reach out to the people that have more experience and learn from them because you can learn a ton by just asking questions of other people that have been there and done that. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, tell us more about your blog. So I started this a while back because of conversations with you, actually, we've gone back and forth about our big ambitions, right? About writing a blog or a book or doing a speaking engagement or whatnot. And so I decided to start this and I've got about a half a dozen posts or so up there and I need to get back to it. And I said earlier that, you know, this is going to be my motivation to write a couple of posts before this thing goes live. The theme really is about, you know, the things that I've learned as a leader and Because I'm a guy that likes data and information, I'd love to go read an instruction book about how to be a manager. And there's a lot of books about specific things or techniques, or there's a lot of theory and not a ton of how to. And so, and I also am really interested in technology and I wanted to, you know, leave it open to whatever I wanted to write about. And so really the theme of it is thoughts on life leadership and other stuff, or technology leadership and other stuff. I think that's those are the three buckets. You know, I write some stuff about technology. I did a review of my electric vehicle that I purchased about a year and a half ago, and that was actually one of the more popular articles. But really, for me, wanting to get myself out there more, wanting to be more disciplined about writing, I enjoy it. And also to share my experiences with other people. In the past, I've had a tendency to assume that as soon as I learn something or I read something, that everyone else around me just sort of absorbs it via osmosis. And it's not the case that all of the things that I've learned over my career, from my interactions with other people, from coaches that I've had the chance to work with, from books that I've read, I need to share that. And I feel like I have an obligation to share that with other people, to help other people learn from my own experiences and become better leaders in their organization, or even better at just managing themselves. You know having more self-awareness and more self-discipline in order to get more things done because i think that a lot of us are capable of a lot more than we think we are and i've had people in my life that have pushed me and put ideas in my head about things that i could do or things that i could be that i could do more than i really thought was ever possible i mean i can remember early in my career when i was working in social services and i had a knack for technology one of the people on my team was telling me how they could see me running an i.t department someday And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And I was like, 20 years ago, but you know, here I am. And so having people like that in your life that can see what your potential is, it's really valuable. And how do people get connected to this block? It's super easy. It's my name, www.buildserva.com.
0: Good. I would definitely will make sure that we connect to it you know, Bill, I'll just sort of tie off by saying that somehow in the last 20 some odd years, you know, in the work that we've done, it's a little bit different than the work that I did with Goodwill of Central in Northern Arizona. We've been attracted to organizations where they have a very strong engineering or data ethic, healthcare being one, aerospace being another, software companies. We've done a lot of work in those areas. And I think it's because there is a lot of deep dive knowledge in being data centric and people are attracted to that and so they get really good at that but somewhere along the way they don't always learn the skills of self-awareness learn the skills of engaging others learn the skills of leadership and management like what you just were describing yeah. and so we've had a nice little niche you know in that particular area for a leader like yourself who has this ability to understand and appreciate data and information and all the technology that can come from that but at the same time can go to the other other side, which is the self-awareness, engagement, leadership management side, I think creates a really potent cocktail, if you will. It's a really nice combination that, quite frankly, I just don't see as much out there that we should see. There's just so much more opportunities for people to grow in that area. And I really see that you represent that balance of being data-centric, but people-centric at the same time with a backbone of self-awareness and asking for help and getting it and learning from that. And I just have a tremendous amount of respect for you as a person, as a leader. And I'm just so glad that we were able to spend this time together on this podcast.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, Dean. And, and you know, just one final thought on that. You can have all the data and information in the world and know what the right thing is to do. But everything that you do has to get done through people. And if you can't connect with people and motivate people and lead people, you're going to have a hard time getting stuff done. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Well, great way to finish up. Thank you so much, Bill. And we'll have people and certainly myself, go check out your blog. Okay,
1: great. Thanks, Dean.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Business of Intuition.
1: If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to
0: learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com.
1: That's MFileadership.com.